Hello and welcome! Today I'm going to be talking about a true crime story which I learned about via Netflix's Evil Genius. If you don't like true crime or if you've already seen the documentary, my apologies, but you'll have to power through it. There's a lot to this story, so let me just jump right into it. The story revolves around a pizza delivery guy in Erie, Pennsylvania named Brian Wells. On a seemingly normal day, back in 2003, he went out to deliver a pizza to a customer, but when he returned, he actually made his way to the bank. He wore a slightly oversized white t-shirt with guess written on it with a sharpie. There was a rectangular, pretty big box against his chest that seemed to wrap around his neck, and he also had a cane in his hand that he was swinging around a bit playfully. He waited in line for a minute or so before moving to a different counter, handing the woman behind it a note in which was written this was a robbery and that he was armed with the cane gun and that he needed $250,000. The note was very lengthy with details in it that seemed very unnecessary to the woman. Some things were meant for Brian, some things were meant for the woman and it was just a big cluttery mess. She put everything she had in the cash register in the bag that Brian handed her, um, which turned out to be only $8,000. Um, and Brian grabbed a lollipop as he walked out, swinging the cane as he left. And obviously, since it's a bank, they immediately pressed a little button on their counter to alarm the cops, which arrived like only a few minutes after Brian had left. They found Brian in the parking lot and surrounded him, plus they put him in handcuffs. As he sunk to his knees, he told the cops he had a bomb around his neck. And when a cop cut open his shirt, it was actually there. So, in most most crime cases, bombs aren't live. They, they don't work. They're just there for props. But they always have to treat it as if it's a live bomb. So the Erie Bomb Squad was called. But they were quite far away from the location, sadly. Um, having to block big streets didn't really help either, um, but it was necessary for the safety of people driving past. Brian stayed really calm, like awfully calm, so the cops were suspicious that he was a willing participant, but the bomb was silent, so, you know, it, it was odd. Wells lied about who put the bomb around his neck at first, and the cops, like, immediately knew it was a lie. He, he just said it was some black people who did it, but Brian couldn't really describe what they looked like, how tall they were, how many there were. Um, so cops, cops just knew it, and, and it was difficult to, to handle that people just lied about that, but they had to take it into, into some consideration. The notes Brian had were handed over to the police as Brian pleaded for them to search for the keys to unlock the bomb, with his pleas only becoming more and more desperate as the bomb actually began to slowly beep. He became visibly more stressed. His pleas became more frequent, more desperate, and that beeping just became faster and faster and faster until eventually the bomb just exploded and pierced him through the chest. However, he didn't die from the impact itself. He was actually alive. For quite some time after that, it was only until like a minute or so before the bomb squad arrived that Brian succumbed to his injuries. 
What was left of the bomb was still locked around his neck, so the bomb squad made sure there were no other explosives on him or in his car. But in his car, they actually found more notes explaining a certain route he had to take. It, It was literally made into some sort of scavenger hunt because Brian really enjoyed the key hunt. Um, in the newspaper where you had to search for a key in order to get some sort of prize. So this was just a bit suspicious to the entire story. The cops drove the way that was explained in the notes and in different places finding more notes with directions to different places and at the second part of the scavenger hunt somewhere near a field with, with woods around it, the cops saw a blue minivan that was kind of driving closer to them, but then as they properly saw the cops, they just turned around and drove off. It was communicated to the FBI, but nothing was ever searched, nothing was spoken about until much, much later. There was some issue between the ATF, the FBI, and the state police as to who the case had to go to, because it had to do with explosives, a bank robbery, and being on state ground. Eventually, they did decide to let the FBI lead, but with the help of the ACF and the state police. So that can be quite important why miscommunication happened in this case, and how certain information went unknown or unspoken of for years. Wells' house was also searched, but the only thing of interest they found was a little notebook with the names and phone numbers of prostitutes written in it. Keep that in mind, at the end of the story, it'll be quite important who these people are. It was traced how Brian's day went. He went to work at the pizza place and a call was made, which turned out to be from a payphone nearby at a gas station. So Brian went to the abandoned tower where the delivery was at. And according to the cops, it was proven that he was there from tire tracks and shoe tracks. And it was also seen by some scuff marks that there was indeed some sort of struggle, but no forensic evidence was found, no DNA, no hair, no blood, nothing. The FBI thought it was really important to keep the bomb intact as much as possible, so they ended up cutting off Brian's head to keep the lock whole. This went without any communication with the family. At the funeral, Brian's body was deemed unfit for an open casket, and the family told everyone that there was clearly more respect shown to the bomb than to Brian himself, and that they figured out that Brian had passed away via the news, seeing him with guns pointed at him, handcuffed, and even after he blew up, he was still on air. They never really got to say a proper goodbye to him, especially since they couldn't have that open casket. One of Brian's co-workers also suddenly passed away, his name was Panetti. There was no disease involved, no heart attack, and Panetti seemingly got nervous after Brian passed away. He even moved his interview date with the police to a Monday, and he died on Sunday. Autopsy revealed that it was probably an accidental overdose or a suicide, so was Panetti involved? We'll talk about that a bit later on. The bomb was remade and it had some very odd items inside, such as an old cell phone like a Nokia, you know, those brick cell phones, um, and wires that just connected to nothing that were just there for, oh, look how cool this looks and how scary this is. Um, but they, they had no purpose, they, they did not connect to anything. 
Um, there were two kitchen timers in the bomb. One was that Wells gave 55 minutes to finish the scavenger hunt. And the other one that was not yet triggered to give him another hour for that. The first kitchen timer was basically counting down until one metal contact touched another one, which caused the explosion. And the bomb was two pipe bombs, which aren't really that difficult to make. Anyone could make them, honestly. The maker of the bomb had installed a metal plate, um, which had cuts, so it'd make a shrapnel effect. But the cuts weren't deep enough for it to actually work. A shrapnel effect is basically... Um, in such a metal plate, you make those l scratches so that with impact, it explodes and sends pieces of sh sharp metal everywhere so that you would die instantly and cause more harm to people around you as well. And also, there were only two keys necessary to unlock the cuff around his neck. Um, not the four that Wells thought it was in the... the Notes it was always described as having to find four keys and not just two, so that was false hope for, for Wells. The FBI believed that Wells was supposed to die that day because they drove the scavenger hunt on same weather, same day, same traffic, and it was found just impossible to finish it within an hour. Um, so now, the case turned from a bank heist into also a murder case. And the case needed a snitch. They, they just had nothing to go off of. They had no DNA, no eyewitnesses thus yet. And they just needed someone to snitch because they couldn't figure this out on their own. Now let's talk about Marjorie Deal Armstrong. She, she was a beautiful, smart woman, but extremely mentally ill. Most of her relationships ended with the man magically passing away and a friend of Marjorie, Bill Rothstein, um, called 911 and told them there was a body in their freezer and that body was Marjorie's ex-boyfriend, James. Bill said that Marjorie had killed him and wanted to put him in a wood chipper. So the FBI searched the house, which was just filled with clutter and mess and gross stuff. And they indeed found a body just wrapped up like some beef in a fetal position. Marjorie was arrested for this, but she denied that she killed James. She actually said that it was Bill who murdered him. And when the FBI interviewed Bill, he was very honest about everything in the case. Um, However, he said he cannot talk about Brian's case when it was brought up. Um, in the house, Bill walked the cops around how he cleaned it, how he got rid of the blood, how he melted the shotgun that was used to kill James. Suspicious. Apparently, Bill's house was forced on sale by his family. He, he was living in it rent-free and just his family was over it. He, they wanted him to move out of it. And he put it on the market for $250,000. Do you remember how much money was asked during the heist? 250000 right. That's odd. Oh, and, and by the way, a dude named Floyd Stockton, who will be somewhat important later on again. He lived with Bill for quite some time, but he moved out just a bit after the heist? Very odd, okay. 
FBI actually believed for a while that Bill was somehow masterminding the case, that he was masterminding how they perceived who did what, but they couldn't get more out of him. Um, he died from terminal cancer and he died telling the cops that he knew nothing about the Brian Wells case. But during Marjorie's trial, as she was walking into an elevator and interviewers were surrounding her asking questions, she yelled at them that Bill should have been convicted of the murder of Brian. But no one ever asked more about it. They just kind of ignored it. No one was like, what do you mean with saying that? Or how do you know? No, just plain up ignored it. And when going to jail for James's murder, um, Marjorie is very open about everything she's done to other people and telling other stories to inmates about it. To the cops, however, she said Bill didn't get rid of the body because he was working on the Brian Wells case. She said she knows that Bill was involved, but, but she was not. She was just not involved. Suddenly, Marjorie spoke about the blue van that was seen at the second part of the scavenger hunt and nobody has ever spoken about that van in the media whatsoever it was never mentioned she said that the van belonged to bill and when a pa state trooper went by his house that was just getting cleaned up because of his passing he indeed saw that van that van was in his name it was there the same van as that location so that kind of proves that bill definitely was involved with something in that case. But what about Marjorie? Because two years later, evidence found that she was driving a gold car on the wrong side of the highway on the day of Brian's case. Marjorie confessed that that was her, but she was not driving for the Brian Wells heist. However, a UPS deliverer saw Bill and Marjorie standing at the payphone the call to the pizza place was made from. He noticed it when he saw it on like America's Most Wanted. But again, Marjorie just said that was for different reasons. She's not involved. The women that were in prison with her explained how Marjorie killed James because he, um, as their getaway driver, was going to snitch on them about the pizza bombing. They also stated how Marjorie said, and I quote, it's not like we didn't measure his neck for the collar, indicating that Brian was a willing participant. Ken Barnes, a friend of Marjorie and Brian, was also interviewed. He knew Brian through a prostitute that was kind of their, their friend or their main hookup. Her name was Jessica. And at the time, Jessica refused to talk to the cops. Ken's house was searched, nothing was found. He claimed he wasn't included but that Marjorie was. Her motive was to do the heist and to use the money acquired to pay Ken as a hitman to murder her father, who she had a really bad relationship with. Back when the James case was going on, he already told that to the police, but just nothing was asked. Again, just went over their heads, did the in one ear, out the other. They did not care about it. And then suddenly, after Marjorie's told that Ken was talking more, she was also talking more. 
She said that Ken was the second mastermind of the heist and how Bill asked her for the two timers needed for the bomb and she said nothing more until Ken talked more. He explained what happened at the abandoned tower and how Marjorie was the mastermind and how Bill was actually in on it as well. Ken was the lookout during the heist and he said that he thought the bomb would be fake. Everyone included said the bomb would be fake and there was some pre-robbery meeting the day before where Marjorie, Ken, Bill, Floyd, Brian and Panetti were all present. James was supposed to be their getaway driver, but he was murdered without anyone knowing beforehand. Brian delivered the pizza as he waited for the money, because he didn't know the heist was going on that day. And then Floyd hooked the bomb around his neck, and Ken beat Brian to the ground, because didn't, Brian didn't want to do it, and he was a pussy. And then Bill shot the gun in the air to kind of cause a ruckus. And Marjorie told Brian to say it was black people who did it, so that there was no trace going back to them. And when the cops came, Marjorie and Ken drove off and switched vehicles to the gold car, in which Marjorie was indeed driving on the wrong side of the highway. Floyd said that he was ordered to put the bomb around Brian's neck, and he saw that he was he saw that Brian was clearly afraid. I mean, how could you not? Floyd felt guilty. He felt so guilty. And he just walks away. He, he wanted to get away from there immediately. But he didn't walk in a straight line. He said that he was kind of walking in a snake-like motion because he was so afraid that Bill would just shoot him in the back. Floyd didn't get charged. Um, he was kind of less important to the case. They didn't find it um, necessary to convict him of anything. And it's unknown what Panetti's role was. No one ever spoke about that. They didn't really know how Brian was recruited. And it's also suspected that the only one who knew that the bomb was live were Bill and Marjorie. No one else knew that the bomb was actually real. In 2010, in 2010, Jessica, the prostitute, she took the stand. And she said she overheard a conversation about um, a bank heist when she was at Ken's place. And she believed that it was Marjorie's voice talking to that. Marjorie was found guilty on all accounts, including the Wells case, which are conspiracy to commit armed bank robbery, armed bank robbery in which a death resulted, and the use of a destructive device in furtherance of a crime of violence. She got life in prison, plus an additional 30 years. She still claimed that Brian was in on it, but that was probably because anyone could still be charged with his murder if evidence shows that he was not in on it. In 2013, after all of Marjorie's appeals were denied, Jessica and Marjorie were in the same prison, but Jessica was allowed to go on work release. She stated how she was the one to give Brian's name to Ken because he requested her to do so. She does not believe there was any pre-robbery meeting because the day of the heist, Brian was with her constantly before he had to work. A few weeks after the heist, um, she gave birth to a child who she believes is Brian's. Um, and Ken said that Jessica was lying and that suddenly... 
There was no pre-robbery meeting, but Brian was taken by surprise as the bomb was hooked around his neck. But Marjorie said that Ken was a liar and that Brian was involved, but she was not. Marjorie died of cancer on April 4th, 2017. She was buried in an unmarked grave. Bill went to his grave protecting Marjorie, and Marjorie went to her grave claiming she was innocent. No one was ever charged on making the bomb or the cane that Brian was swinging around, which turned out to be a fully working gun, which could actually kill somebody. And no one will ever be charged with the murder of Brian Wells. May he rest in peace.